Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Welcome to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Today's topic will be myxomas. Before we get into that, we do want to touch on uh, a couple of things, uh, always uh, reaching back to our previous episode, which was having Brandy Benson and her mother, Tippy on an episode of our sarcoma stories, journey from diagnosis to present. Um, that was really an uh, insightful uh, episode uh, for me. Uh, what did you think about that, uh, Elise? Yeah, I always find it really great to get to hear about each individual patient's story and um, hearing from their families too. I think we find that when we're in the exam room also. It's uh, it's always really helpful when you get to hear about um, exactly what everyone's going through. Everyone's, it's of course a very individual process, but uh, I think it's great to get a, a new perspective on things. So talking with Brandy and Tippy was really, really wonderful. It was very great. And uh, prior to that episode, we did discuss synovial sarcoma. And I think at this point, uh, with all our episodes, as we're starting to build our catalog, um, I, I, I do hope that we are starting to begin to develop at least a difference uh, of how people view uh, sarcomas or tumors. I think the general breakdown is really having bone versus soft tissue tumor, right? Uh, whether it be benign, benign, aggressive, or malignant. And that's generally how we try to classify these tumors. And I hope we can continue to shout that out in future episodes. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think it's always helpful to, to take a step back and look at the big picture. So yeah, so, synovial sarcoma was an example of a soft tissue sarcoma, but we have spoken about some other uh, bone sarcomas as well, such as chondrosarcoma and osteosarcoma. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the combination of benign and malignant diagnoses as well. So uh, the last tumor that we spoke about was a malignant tumor. And now we're going to be going back to the benign world again. Um, but yeah, so before we get started, uh, anything uh, you'd like to share about what you've been doing in our uh, our break? I know we've had to reschedule a couple of times with some uh uh, life events and work events and <laughs> other other things that you know naturally come up in our lives. But what what's been going on with you since we last uh, spoke on the on the podcast, Izu? Definitely a lot of work events. Um, work has been great, uh, but uh, you know more exciting things uh, coming up like uh, the football season, NFL and college, and fantasy football season. Who who's on your team? Uh, I mean. I have about I have about five teams, so <laughs> pretty much the whole NFL, the entire NFL is on my team. Uh, but uh, uh, sarcoma related, I mean, I think at our at our last episode, uh, we had discussed the sarcoma strong uh, run for August, and that was really amazing. I I, you know, I did make it through the five k, uh, and I'm I'm now up to ten k on my long run. So we are nice. headed towards this uh, this goal, uh, this end end goal of a marathon at some point this year. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with you? I heard something about Iceland in the future. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I have a vacation coming up. I've uh, heard good things, but I'm um, looking forward to spending some time um, in Iceland, but otherwise been working hard lately, but it's always nice to have those um, 
you know, times off to look forward to as well. But otherwise, yeah, here in Seattle, it's certainly been a, a hot, dry summer, um, <laughs> which has its pros and cons. But um, but yeah, it's been it's been really nice. It's it's sad always when it's the summer seems to be winding down, but I don't mind the cold either. Just part of why I'm going to Iceland. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, cities. Uh, I know Seattle is definitely very nice, but I do need to schedule vacation so I could. Uh, Iceland sounds like a good destination. I'll let you know. Do you do you have any uh, upcoming uh, trips planned? Yeah, I'm going to a wedding in Montreal. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so that's going to be very nice. Brush up on my French before I go. Yeah. <laughs> Parlez-vous français? <laughs> Comment ça va? Ça va bien? Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. Perfect. That's I was, was going to say me, me, me amo, me amo isu, but that's that's the wrong language. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now, now to today's uh, topic. Yeah. So we, we already mentioned what today's topic is. So easy. Uh, uh, do you want to give us a breakdown? What What is a myxoma? These are benign soft tissue masses. But one of the few times the name actually correlates to exactly what the tumor is uh, by calling myxoma. And so really it's a benign mass of cells that have myxomatous material. So what does that mean? And so if you uh, have a chance to listen to our episode, the episode asks an orthopedic oncologist, you know, we had Dr. Will Eward uh, answer a similar question about myxoma, myxomatous changes and really what it is is uh, gelatinous material or mucoid material almost like mucin uh, that is created within these cells the cells make it and it's surrounded the matrix the extracellular area between the cells uh, and i think that is a very uh, good way of looking at it and that is uh, pretty much what it looks like um, when you if you were to remove the tumor and take a look at it on the inside and Generally, who would you say can get diagnosed with this or around what age? Yeah, so this is a tumor that's commonly diagnosed in patients in their third to fifth decade of life, uh, though it can be older uh, as well, but that's about the average. There seems to be a slight female predominance, um, and this is estimated to occur in approximately one in one million people. These can be associated with other tumors. Uh, myxoma can occur also in the setting of another type of tumor that we have yet to discuss called fibrous dysplasia. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the future. Um, but this is a type of benign bone lesion um, where there's a fibrous tissue that forms within, within the bone itself. And so this can either occur where there's multiple regions of fibrous dysplasia where it's polyostotic, meaning multiple bones are affected, or it can be monostotic, where a single bone is affected. But when myxoma is associated with these other lesions, we give it a name called Mazabrad syndrome. And for the spelling for everyone out there, that's M-A-Z-A-B-R-A-U-D. Uh, so it's a little bit of a long word, but but this is something that we can see in association uh, with, uh, with fibrous dysplasia. When that does occur, it's typically in the setting of a genetic mutation, and we'll talk about that um, uh, a little bit later in this episode. 
Uh, Mixoma, the other important thing that I would say to know as well is that some people do report uh, antecedent trauma, meaning that there's an event where they had an injury beforehand. Uh, but again, we don't know if this is actually part of the etiology or more likely it's just that uh, this brings this area of uh, swelling to a patient's attention and leads to uh, imaging. But that's suspected to potentially be a uh, um, part of what leads to this uh, diagnosis. Izu, can you tell us where in the body this type of tumor seems to occur? They do occur in a wide variety of areas in the body. Like most of our tumors, soft tissue, uh, and, all right, so uh, the thigh is one of the most common areas, and that would be described as intramuscular. So one of the most common types of myxomas is the intramuscular myxoma. And this is when the myxomatous or mucin-producing tumor is within muscles, all right? And this can occur in muscles in the thigh, in the buttock, right? As well as the shoulders and parts of the trunk uh, can have that as well. There are other types of myxomas, uh, other locations of myxomas that are not intramuscular. They can be juxtaarticular, which is next to the joints, Sometimes in rare occasions, they can be cutaneous. Myxomas have also been known to occur in the mouth or myxomas. Even more rare cases, they can occur within the joint called synovial myxomas. They can be related to the nerves or nerve sheath myxomas. And there's also the term for cardiac myxomas, and they can be very large in size. And this is a key uh, and a reason why a lot of tumors in the thigh uh, have room to grow is because for most of us, we have relatively large thighs. And so there's a lot of room for these tumors to get large sometimes before they're even noticed. Um, when that does occur and people get these large masses, these masses can become painful. And so uh, not all, but a majority of patients uh, can present with pain. This is close to... Uh, 55 to 60% of patients. But again, uh, the symptoms are usually dependent on the location, but we do know that uh, slowly enlarging mass is key or associated with this. Uh, and so at least if someone comes to you with this slowly enlarging mass, probably in the thigh, probably in their third to fifth decade, and probably a woman, what would you usually do for them? What is your general workup or uh, imaging studies that you would obtain. Yeah, so similar to other soft tissue tumors, uh, the MRI would be the first step and it can have a very classic appearance on MRI. Um, it's usually very well defined uh, and there's a uh, it's it's fairly homogeneous in nature which differentiates it from other uh, more malignant processes that we see um, or soft tissue sarcomas. But this is something that otherwise is typically with a low signal intensity on T1 weighted imaging and high uh, signal on T2 weighted imaging. And that's because of it, its very high water content. As Easy mentioned, it produces a lot of myxoid or mucinous material that happens to have a high water content, which the T2 sequence on MRI highlights very, very well. Uh, occasionally, you can see some septae within the lesion, uh, and those are most easily seen on that T2 sequence. There are some features that we would 
want to be aware of on MRI uh, that would help us differentiate this from a more malignant process, such as invasion of nearby structures, or if it's not so well defined or has any heterogeneous component to it. Because uh, that's one of the challenges with this is that there are other soft tissue sarcomas that have a myxoid matrix as part of it. So it's still important to take that into consideration when thinking of the differential diagnosis for patients that come into clinic with this. Uh, but that's, that's, uh, that's, that would be the steps that I would take. I don't find x-ray or CT to be quite as useful in the workup for a patient with a soft tissue mass, uh, as you described. Any other and, thoughts and that you would have, Yuzu? Yeah, um, not really uh, anything new to add, uh, just to re-emphasize or just emphasize that really very important to be able to differentiate a myxoma, benign myxoma from something that is malignant. And I think that is the reason why uh, for us having uh, the show where we discuss sarcomas, we have to include the benign entities because you would want to make sure that you are ruling out that this cannot be other myxomatous lesions that are malignant, which we'll be briefly discussing later on on this episode. Question for you, Elise. Do you biopsy these prior to uh, surgery? And when I, what I mean is, are you doing anything in the office or are you doing any um, image guided uh, biopsies or are you doing open biopsies? What is your general approach to this uh, to obtain the pathologic diagnosis? Or is this something that can be made based on imaging and then proceed with treatment from there? Yeah, I think. That's a really good question. I, I think if there are any features on imaging that are concerning, um, then certainly I think it's always very helpful to biopsy, though it is important to keep in mind um, with this pathology in particular, sometimes the a low-grade sarcoma could be challenging to uh, completely differentiate from a standard benign myxoma just from a needle biopsy alone. So it can provide some reassurance, but it's not uh, 100%. Uh, it doesn't have 100% uh, ability to be able to rule that out entirely just on a needle biopsy alone. But um, yeah, I'd say that if the lesion is is easily palpable and I would feel accessible, then my preference is to do a core needle biopsy in the clinic because um, then I know exactly where my needle's going so that I can take that into consideration if the patient opts for a surgical excision um, in terms of being able to excise the, the needle tract as well. And I know that I'm uh, approaching it from a, a safe uh, uh, direction as well. But if there were, if it were in a concerning location that I felt would be more easily accessible by our radiologists uh, with some imaging guidance, then I, I would, uh, my next preference would be to make a referral to them to, to help. Um, and very, very rarely, I would say, I would uh, go to the operating room for an open biopsy, especially in this setting. But that's just speaking more generally about my approach to biopsies, I would say. Yeah, I think all of that and, and really uh, in combination with the discussion with the patient, uh, I think a lot of times these can be very clear, the diagnosis on imaging. And if that is the case and it's somewhere that is relatively easy to approach, uh, it might save an additional procedure 
uh, to not have to get the biopsy and take out the entire mass and evaluate that. Um, with that said, uh, if there are any concerns whatsoever at all, then probably taking the steps like you would for a sarcoma to make sure you obtain that biopsy specimen prior uh, to the final excision are um, important. And when you do look at these specimens, for example, the <clears throat> uh, biopsy specimen that was obtained, or if it was an excisional biopsy type of procedure and the entire um, mass was removed and evaluated, the pathologic analysis in some cases can resemble low-grade sarcomas. But uh, the key for these is that generally the cells are what we call bland, so there's not a lot of activity, and that includes mitotic activity. And so uh, for some of our listeners wondering what that is, if you remember, uh, we have uh, mitosis is the means of cells multiplying, is the way cells grow and multiply. And so uh, if there's a lot of mitotic activity, it means that the cells are increasing and growing at a rapid rate. If we have uh, a lack of mitotic activity, it means that the cells are not proliferating actively. And for uh, us, that is a good sign because that means that there's less turnover. That means it's more likely to be a benign entity. The cells often will also have uh, mucinous cysts, as well as uh, in some cases, they can be in hypercellular rim with some areas of increased vascularity, but generally very bland. Mesomas also can have, uh, in terms of additional testing, uh, a mutation in the GNAS1, approximately 60%. Uh, and this can be identified by PCR. So um, after we've uh, obtained these uh, pathology specimens and we have a, uh, maybe a biopsy that says myxoma, how do you guide patients? Can this Is this something that can become malignant? Is this something that has to immediately be surgically removed? How do you approach that? Yeah, so as far as we know, myxomas don't have... Uh, a strong potential to become malignant. Uh, but I think the biggest takeaway is that it can be very difficult as it, as we mentioned already to differentiate from some of the low, low grade myxomatous tumors. So um, if in terms of discussing options with the patient, I think both observation or a, a surgical excision, which would be typically a marginal excision that would be planned in this case would be appropriate. If a patient did ob opt for observation, then it, it would be important to follow this closely with repeat imaging just to ensure that it's not changing over time. Um, again, as mentioned, just because it, it can be extremely difficult to differentiate at times to, uh, from, from a low-grade low malignant process. But uh, if a patient does opt for surgical excision, I'd say it's not something that we necessarily need to rush to do immediately. This can be done on a more elective basis, uh, making sure that a patient is otherwise medically optimized for surgery and typically can be accommodated around when it's more convenient for them to do so. Uh, but that would be, um, those would be the options that I would discuss with a patient. And we, we spoke a little bit about the differential diagnosis, but tell us about what some of the other things might be that we would be concerned about um, or the other things on the differential when we see a patient who potentially has a diagnosis of myxoma. Yes, and so 
a differential diagnosis or other things that could be um, or present similarly fall in, I'll say, two categories, some more aggressive than others. I'll say the less aggressive or other benign entities like a mixolipoma, right, which is uh, two terms that we've now heard before. So we know about lipomas in here and the mixo. So it's a mixoid um, lipoma, which means it's benign. Um, another uh, type of tumor can be an ossifying fibromyxoid tumor, which is more of the benign aggressive entity. Uh, and ossifying means uh, when things firm up, when things start to become like bone. All right. Um, an ossifying fibromyxoid tumor can give you a uh, similar appearance to the myxoma, at least on uh, imaging. The key, the top two that I believe we should definitely always be aware of to make sure that we rule these out uh, in a setting of a myxoma diagnosis or your myxoid liposarcoma, which we have heard again, uh, uh, we've previously heard about in the episode with Dr. Peter Ferguson on liposarcomas. Uh, and then the next one is myxofibrosarcoma, which is an extremely aggressive tumor. Uh, which uh, will be an episode in the future as well. So uh, for these uh, patients, if we have ruled out the differential diagnosis and end up with a definitive diagnosis of a myxoma, are you doing any uh, surveillance at least? Is there any follow-up longitudinally? Um, You know, for people with sarcomas, we usually want to follow for, you know, up to 10 years, five to 10 years. Are you doing that for these patients? What is uh, the uh, surveillance, if any? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good question. I'd say that there there is a chance for local recurrence with these tumors. It's uh, it's more common in when it in the setting of a juxta articular myxoma. So those in particular, you want to I would say watch a little bit more closely. Um, but yes, I would I would still do surveillance even after surgical excision in these patients. Um, probably twice a year uh, initially, and then after uh, about three years, two to three years, I'd say it would be safe to either prolong to uh, an annual basis for surveillance um, versus uh, having the patient do self-examination at that point. Um, But surveillance is still the area that I think we're trying to learn a little bit more about what the right way is to take care of patients. what the most appropriate follow-up is. So this is these are areas where there's still some differentiation between providers. And so it's something that's really important to just have a discussion with your provider about in terms of both what you're comfortable with and what he or she is comfortable with as well. And then, of course, as I already mentioned with observation, I think close surveillance is really important. So I'd probably do imaging on a slightly more frequent basis, at least for a year or two, to ensure no changes. Um, uh, again, we, we've already gone into detail, the reasons for that. Do you do anything differently, Izu? Exactly the same. Couldn't have said it any better either. <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, at least that brings us uh, to, uh, I guess, the uh, uh, finale or um, the closing. Finale, part. I like that. We should We should close all of our episodes by saying we're at the finale. Yeah, I guess we're at the finale of the episode where we uh, briefly talk about the salient points from the episode. 
Um, so uh, would you uh, mind giving, uh, sharing with us some of the uh, your sailing points from this uh, episode? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, easy touched on on several of these as well. But so I think the most important thing to know about myxomas is that they have a bland myxoid extracellular matrix. Um, these can be associated with other tumors that we will be talking about in future episodes, um, such as fibrous dysplasia in the setting of Mazabrod syndrome. Um, and the other uh, critical things to keep on the differential when evaluating these patients are the other uh, myxoid soft tissue sarcomas, such as myxoid liposarcoma and myxofibrosarcoma. Uh, any other points that you'd like to highlight from today? Yes, MRI T2 enhancement is something that's uh, key for this, um, showing uh, hum, uh, relatively homogeneous lesion um, that is well circumscribed, as well as uh, the increased rate of GNAS1 mutations uh, in the group. And, and just to remind uh, that it is a benign soft tissue tumor, um, and that intramuscular myxomas are the most common. And then I think one more point that we actually didn't really uh, speak about, but just to to summarize, um, as far as treatment options, so this would just be surgical excision or surgery alone or observation and not uh, any other adjuvant systemic treatment or radiation treatment for these patients. So we didn't Correct. we didn't highlight that, but I think that's important to uh, to highlight as well. Thank you for that. And to close, we always like to add that it's important to note that every case is unique and treatment for each diagnosis depending on discussion with your treatment team. If you'd like more information, please feel free to check out uh, the uh, articles listed in the episode description. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. If you enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram or Twitter. Our next episode, we'll be discussing one of our differential diagnoses from here that we have not touched on, and that is myxofibrosarcomas. And really part of that will be highlighting some of uh, the features that are similar to myxomas and then some unique things that make myxofibrosarcoma very challenging to treat. Sarcoma Insight.